selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandy Pond. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about an old-timey kidnapping. Well, I've heard this episode before. Ooh, blame it all on my roots. I showed, showed up, up in boots oh. to tell you about this old-timey kidnapping. Oh boy, this this should have been workshopped. <laughs> Although I like that you're in fringe today. Yeah, yeah, uh, we're so much fringe. That was Hot a pink lie. fringe. You're the one wearing a burlap sack right now, ma'am. Everyone, I'm a little cold. <laughs> She's wrapped in a blanket, <laughs> and it looks like a burlap sack. I've got to say, I love these days where I don't tell a case. I just sit in yeah, my burlap sack with your sack. burlap sack on. That's right. Yeah, getting your sack on. That's what you've started calling it. I shan't acknowledge that. Okay, great. Um, I'm doing a new thing where I'm really embracing my status as the Grace Kelly of podcasting. Oh, are you? And I've decided that when you say something absolutely revolting. Like get your sack on? Yes. (laughs) You're just not going to I shan't go down that road. Okay. This will be a much cleaner podcast. Because I believe I'll, I make up a small percentage of the disgusting jokes on this podcast. Brady, I'm excited for an old-timey kidnapping. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. Okay. Somehow I never came across this one when I did my series of old-timey kidnappings, which is bizarre. But first, I, I do think we need to talk to the people about what happened at lunch today. Oh, God. Do we have to? I was going to pretend it didn't happen. You were? No, you go ahead. I just, I keep thinking about it. You go for it. We went to a place that we really like. We love this place. We love it. They play the greatest music. We love the waitress we always get. She's wonderful. Yeah. She, like, knows our drink orders. Like, but she, it's like, but it's not, like, too much yeah. knowing us. It's, like, the perfect amount. 
We got halfway through our meals today when Norm discovered a big bug in his salad. Big old bug. Dead one. Lots of legs. It's up in the air. So many legs. So many legs. It was disgusting. So bad. (laughs) They did comp our food. Yeah. Yeah. And our waitress knew us. She was like, she was, do you want to keep working on this? We're like, no. no she goes, I didn't think you we're did. We're all done eating now. Thank you. <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. It was a really rough time. <laughs> and then poor Norm wanted to get ice cream after to wash down the bug. Uh-huh. Remove the bug memories from his brain. But Kristen and I were too disgusted to Well, no, we, we were like, hey, you get whatever no, we you told want. Him, yeah, we'll go wherever you want. You get whatever you want. But we're, we are not. We're, we're done eating We're for done a eating while. for a while. Yeah, no more food is going in this body Mm-mm-mm. for the time being. Um, but, yeah, he didn't want to go solo no, so on a McFlurry. home and ate Costco ice cream and was pretty sad about it. <laughs> I can't believe that happened. I That was a big bug. That was a really big bug. Anyhow, welcome to the podcast, everyone. <laughs> we don't always have bugs with lunch. And on those days, the podcast is a little lighter. It's a little... <laughs> yeah. Didn't mean to start it out on such a dark such note. Such a rough note. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to hear some episodes where there aren't bugs in our lunches, go on over to patreon.com slash LGTC podcast. Over there, you'll get 51. Over there, you'll find 51 bonus episodes over there. Oh, Brandy, do you want to apologize? Because the because episodes you are so coming. The episodes are coming. Everyone. Yes. Right? Okay. Thank you. Every person who lives in Indiana has told me that they are oh. not called Indianians. Oh, she's so gracious. She's uh, so... They are Hoosiers, which, okay, I will admit, I thought that was like something you could only say if you're actually from Indiana. Like you Did aren't you allowed think to, it was like a slur? I think you aren't allowed to call people Hoosiers. They're only allowed to call themselves Hoosiers. Okay. Um, and uh, it's shocking to me that the good people at researchmaniacs.com lied to me when they told me that people were called Indianians. Everyone, Brandy messed up big time. Huge. On our recent bonus episode. Um, and even though I didn't make the error, <laughs> I actually had an error-free episode. <laughs> um, I just want to say that I am sorry. As am I. No. Oh, 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 now you're sorry. I am sorry. Yeah. yeah. After I, <laughs> the error-free one. Okay. Apologize. Anyway. Anyway, it's really embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because some of us take this very seriously. <laughs> anyway, now, I, I don't mean to upset you all. Um, Brandy, unfortunately, is the one telling the story That's today. the rudest thing you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> She'll get through the story. It's not even about kidnapping. <laughs> Turns out it's pronounced kidnapping. <laughs> And it's just a story where she insults people from Indiana. No. Mm. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, go on. Sorry, sorry, Hoosiers. Yeah. Also, go on over and. And if that's an insult, Patreon. I'm really sorry. Because it feels like a. Why does it, it feel I don't like know. An it feels insult. like a thing you're not supposed to say. <laughs> but Indianians. Yeah, that sounds right. like. Yeah. I think that feels real weird. <laughs> oh, I time. totally agree. I mean, you really had to do some rolling. You In, know. Yeah. Yeah. Indianians. Indianians. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yep. All right. Why don't you start your story? All right. I will. Shout out to Mr. Mango on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. In the Discord for recommending this case. Sources. Um, Oh, you look like you're in pain. Everyone, she read a book. I didn't. Okay. Stop. You didn't even read the fucking book. I skimmed the book. Last week, you came to me and you're like, I'm reading a fucking book. I ordered a book. I ordered a book. The reason I ordered the book is because I determined that it was the only source that had the ransom note in its entirety. Okay. Okay. And you do know how much we love a ransom exactly. on this podcast. I yeah. started reading the book. The book is not bad, but it does something that I don't enjoy. What's that? And the author makes a note about it at the beginning. It is a choice that the author made. Author, by the way, is Brian Johnston. No no shade to Mr. Johnston here. May I guess what it is? Uh-huh. It's imagined dialogue. Yep. 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 I hate that. Yep. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it does tell the story. Mm-hmm. But I can get that in other sources as well. And it peppers in a lot of imagined dialogue, which he's up front about. Yeah. Just not my not my thing. It'd be really funny if it was poorly imagined. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely no shade to Brian Johnson. It's clear that a lot of research went into mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. It is the only place that I could find the actual ransom note from. Mm-hmm. This and what's case. the title of this book? It's called Deep in the Woods. Wow. Yes. Okay, very good. So I used a smattering of information mm-hmm. from this. We call it a splattering. Okay, gross. <laughs> uh, most of this comes from an essay by Daryl C. McClary for HistoryLink.org. I felt like I was hit with the double C. <laughs> yes, Daryl C. McClary. McClary. Yeah. McClary, yes. Very good essay. Oh, Suck on that, Brian Johnston. <laughs> no imagined dialogue at all. All right, all right. Also, to an episode of the podcast Evidence Locker. Oh, I have listened to this podcast for a case before because I remember shouting them out, but I mm-hmm. I cannot remember what episode it was. So anyway, I, Sorry, I enjoyed it very evidence much. Evidence Locker. <laughs> okay, are you ready? I might be. You ready for an old timey kidnapping? Yes, I am. Friday, May 24th, 1935, started just like any other day for nine-year-old George Warehouser. For full disclosure, Mm -hmm. I read about this case a lot before I ever heard anything about it, and I pronounced his name Weyerhauser the whole time in my head because it is spelled W-E-Y-E-R-H-A-E-U-S-E-R. Yeah. But it is pronounced Warehouser. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got to tell you. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. All right. So George went to school that day, talked baseball with his friends. George was reportedly a big fan of Babe Ruth because sure. they had the same first name. His oh. name is George. George Herman Ruth is um, Babe Ruth's real name. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you for... were so confused. I was. The look on I your know. face. <laughs> trying to not have the look on my face but it was there you've never seen sandlot yeah um the great bambino yeah i don't remember george they do they call him george herman ruth okay no i remember the great bambino i remember the very problematic scene with wendy peppercorn Mm -hmm. anyhow continue okay (laughs) around noon school let out for lunch this is such a bizarre concept to me 
The kids First go of all, where home are they? Lunch. Oh, we're in Tacoma, Washington. Wow, good of you to mention it. Okay, uh, it's coming up, but okay, all right, all right. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mention it in the mm-hmm. first two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows every story should start with the year and then the town. Okay. I think if you work it into the first two paragraphs, no, it's good. No. Picture it. <laughs> <laughs> so George gets out for lunch like he always did. And what? Again, this is such a weird concept to me that we're sending little kids home for lunch, but it's the 1930s. I remember, and I meant to look into this more. And by look into it, I mean ask my mom about it. I remember my grandpa telling a story about going to school during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. because that's where we're at. We're 1935. And each student would have to bring a potato with them to school. Oh, and then they put it soup in together? the furnace. They put all the, no, they put oh. all the potatoes in the furnace. And by lunchtime, they'd all be baked potatoes. And each child would eat the potato they brought for lunch. Wow. Yeah. All right. It sounds very depressing. That's why they called called it it the Great Great Depression. Depression. Yeah. Don't you think there were fights over like, no, I brought that big potato. Oh, there probably were. Absolutely. Or maybe all of the potatoes, you brought them in, they just went into a basket and then the teacher put them in the furnace and then you got whatever potato you got. Let me tell you something. If I were that teacher, it'd be a big pot of soup. Yeah. Yeah, but then you have to have other things than just potatoes. No, you don't. It's the Great Fucking Depression. You get what you get and you don't throw <laughs> up this. But at least everyone gets some, right? And it goes longer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. That's enough out of you, man. <laughs> anyway, George gets out for lunch and he did what he always did. He started to head to meet his sister at Annie Wright Seminary, which was a short walk from his school. So each day he would typically leave his school when they were let out for lunch, walk to his sister's school, and there the family chauffeur would pick them up and take them home to their mansion in Tacoma, Washington. Wow. Because George Warehouser happened to be the son of Tacoma timber baron John Warehouser. Inventor, of course, of the warehouse. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, he's a he's a timber man. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Lots right. of lots of logging and deforestation. Mm. Anyway. Brandy's acting like she cares about deforestation. I do meanwhile, care about deforestation. Meanwhile, she uses toilet paper that is so thick, it's basically a down cover. <laughs> so, no, I like who's that the problematic toilet paper. One. Yeah, you do. I yeah. do. I really like it. <laughs> so George did as he always did. He walked to his sister's school, but his school had let out early for lunch for some reason, like 10 to 15 minutes earlier than they usually did. And so he went to the school, but no one was around yet at mm-hmm. his sister's school. And so he thought rather than stand there and wait, he would just walk on home and start getting lunch ready. They have a chauffeur, but not someone who's getting lunch ready for them. Mm, that's a good question. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Continue. No, he ta- he, he, maybe that's an imagined conversation now that you say it, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So he heads home early. Mm-hmm. And so when the chauffeur shows up to the school to get George's sister, George isn't there. Right. So they head back home. 
assuming that this is what he had done, that he had, you know, just walked home. walked home. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't there. So they thought maybe he had stayed at school with his friends, decided not to come home for lunch that right. day, which I don't think was like the norm, but I think happened occasionally. And so the chauffeur at one point did go back, like redrive the route looking yeah. for George, didn't see him. And decided to come back home. Later that afternoon, the warehousers did get a call saying that George had never returned to school after lunch. Mm. And at that point, the warehousers knew something had happened. Yeah. They weren't sure what, though. Had he gotten lost? Had he gotten hurt? Or had he been kidnapped? So this is 1935. This is like the height of kidnapping. We're talking like this is three years after the Lindbergh baby had been kidnapped. Okay. Kidnapping for ransom was seen as a quick way to make money during the Great Depression. Yeah. If you want to be your own boss. Yeah. Snatch a rich family's kid. Sure. And demand ransom. Yeah. And that's exactly what had happened to George. Yeah. That evening, about 6 o'clock, a little after 6, maybe 6.25. I don't really know why I said 6 o'clock. <laughs> Can I hit it? I'm going to hit it again. No, you can't. Yeah. No, you can't. This is Hoosiers all over again. My goodness. Ace. You think the time doesn't matter in Tacoma, Washington? It does matter. Washingtonians care so much. Washingtonians. That's probably right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tacomans careful mm-hmm. you don't want to have another <laughs> giant mess up <laughs> uh, at that evening at approximately 6 25 p.m mm. as it turns out uh like a bicycle messenger i believe arrived at the warehouser home with a special delivery letter okay he handed it to Someone at the front door, and it was immediately given to John Warehouser, George's father. It was addressed to whom it may concern. Inside the envelope was a long typewritten ransom note laying out 21 points. Oh, my God. And I will now read it to you. I'm so glad you got that book. (laughs) (laughs) To whom it may concern. One. $200,000 in cash. Adjusted for inflation? A little over $4 million. Oh, wow. Okay. It's a lot of money. Yes, yes. Yeah. Two, $100,000 in $20 bills. Wait, they don't even start with like a little, you know. No, no, no. Nope. They just go right into They just go right into the demands. All right. Three, $50,000 in $10 bills. Four, $50,000 in $5 bills. The disrespect to this. First of all, to whom it may concern, you know who you you gave this to. Exactly. Also, you can't be like, I will keep this kid safe or anything in exchange for blah, blah, blah. All right, continue. All of this money must be in Federal Reserve notes and unmarked. I'm not going to read the numbers in front of the lines anymore. Do we all understand that each line is numbered? No. I think we do. You are not to take numbers of these bills. If they are taken and the bills are marked, it will all be off. Hmm. All of it. 
I, I added that part that's not in the, in the Please note. Please don't do any imagined, <laughs> imagined ransom noting, okay? You are not to notify the police, Department of Justice, or any private detective agency. All right. If you do, it will also be all off. Keep it out of the papers. Mm-hmm. This is, all caps, business, B business-like. <laughs> well, that's weirdly condescending. I know! All right, all right. Put on my best skirt suit. <laughs> right, Brandy? No. You have five days to raise the money. Better have it. Oh, well, again, <laughs> fuck you. The tone of this ransom note is nuts to me. I've already got a theory. You do? Yes. Do you, do you want me to finish the note and then you share it? I'll or? share it right now. Okay. This was a generic note. They're going mm. to kidnap any rich kid from the rich school. Okay. This feels way too generic. It's very generic, yes. In five days, or as soon as you have the money, advertise in the Seattle PI. That is the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. That's the Seattle newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Personal column. Say, we are ready, and sign it, Percy Minnie. Remember, the money will be gone over before the release, so don't mark it. The police can't catch us, so be very, very careful to follow the rules. These bills must also have been in circulation. Be careful. Hmm. Remember, and don't try to slip any gold certified notes on us. What? You wanted it to say in us. I wasn't sure but what it said, probably, actually. They probably also <laughs> don't want anything inserted the, into the, Yeah. Yeah. You will be notified where to go when the time comes. Be sure there is no one following you, as you will be watched from the time you leave. We won't be sitting behind any mailboxes, either. What? I don't know! That had to be a, like, timely reference, right? <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> sitting behind you? Okay. Mm-hmm. We won't be easily spotted? Yeah. Is that what that means? Okay, yeah. great. Just follow the rules, and we will get along fine. Don't follow them, and it will be sorrowful for you. Not for us. Oh. Mm-hmm. We kill kids all the time. We don't give yeah. a shit. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Any questions, ask them in a personal column signed same as above. Okay. And then the rest of this is in all caps. Great. Remember to follow the rules. All of them. You're a repeating s- yourself, you boring ass kidnapper. <laughs> okay. A slip on your part will just be too bad for someone else. Yeah, this is totally a generic letter. We know what we are doing. Do you? Because it sounds like you just took some random... We have it all planned. It has been all planned for three years. In the meantime, we have looked for places where we might slip, and we found none. Hmm. (laughs) We've totally foolproofed this. We did it all ourselves. (laughs) Three years. Okay. How long had it been since the Lindbergh kidnapping? Three years. Okay. Okay. So they're trying to act like, oh, I I see you. All right. You little sneaky sneaks. Okay. We are educated. Oh. And pride says we are fairly intelligent. 
pride says we're fairly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Continue. Any typos in this, by the way? Uh, no, there's like one or two spelling errors. That's it. Okay. It's, it's very well written. All right. So you agree? No. <laughs> so if you just stop and reason for a minute, you'll see that it is best to follow our rules. Just stop and think for a minute. Reason, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to follow the rules? Okay. All right. <laughs> I I know this man who's written this letter. Mm-hmm. He's the worst boyfriend you'll ever have. <laughs> He's so condescending. <laughs> Continue, please. We don't more want... about the rules and how intelligent uh-huh. mm-hmm. he is. Okay. We don't want to hurt anyone if we can get out of it. So if you just follow the rules. Oh my God! Shut up, dude. Don't <laughs> As... you care about ink? As they are laying down by us, you will have the one you love back home in a week's time. Hold on. As they are laying down by us. As they are laying down by us. Laying, L-A-I-N. Oh, okay. So as the rules are laying, laying down. down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, hold on. I, I, I'm going to back up just a bit because I do think this is important. Yeah. Um, if you just follow the rules as they are laying down by us, you will have the one you love back home in a week's time. Oh. If you care about them $200,000 worth. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like you have to lay on the guilt too much right. in a kidnapping letter. Yeah. But now this is making me think that they were going to take anybody, not necessarily a child, because they mm-hmm. don't mention a child no, at all. No, they don't mention a child at all. Yeah. All right. So just remember, a slip on your part. Yeah. We is a slip by us. Okay, but they're Don't not at fault. You're at fault because you do need it. to follow the rules. Don't do it. You're right. Signed, egoist, egoist. Really? Yes. What the hell does that mean? No fucking clue. All right. <laughs> huh. Mm-hmm. I am so intrigued, and I'm so glad you bought that book because that yeah. needed to be it read did, it in did. its entirety. No other source has it, and they're just yeah. like, it was a 21-line letter. It yeah. had this demand and was signed in this way. Yeah, no, I don't – in a way, I don't blame them Yeah, because it's repetitive. It doesn't say it's much. It's extremely but, repetitive. But in a way, it says so much. So much. Okay. No, I like your thinking, though. Like, this was not – Thank you. They didn't you target know, I am this educated, specific kid. And pride tells me that I am intelligent. Mm-hmm. Pride tells me fairly intelligent. Fairly intelligent. Fairly intelligent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's not go nuts. Yeah, let's not get okay. crazy here. All right. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time that this ransom note arrived, the police already knew about this. Right. Because the warehousers called the police immediately when they didn't know. Yeah, this is why you pick a specific person. To yeah. Kidnap. I don't mean to tell a kidnapper how to do right. their job. So at this point, I believe the police had already been called. Right. There was already some kind of search for George going on. Some of the press already had some idea because some people were watching the house and saw oh, this special message get delivered and immediately assumed it was a ransom note. Well, sure. That's how prevalent kidnapping for ransom was at this time. 
Well, but also like word had already gotten out, so everybody's yeah that he's missing, and then there's this special special delivery, right? Yeah. So now the warehousers are kind of freaking out because this says a lot of stuff about not getting the police involved. You know all of this. (laughs) They should have hit that point harder. Yeah, you think they missed it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) See, I read that and I thought it'd be okay if I fudged the rules just a little. Oh, did you? You didn't get the impression that you really had to follow the rules here? Yeah, if only they'd been more clear. The letter was signed on the back by George. Oh, Yeah, in pencil on the back of the envelope, he had signed his name. Fuck these people. Yeah. Yep. So as soon as the warehousers get this letter, the fucking FBI is involved. Mm -hmm. Because now we know that this is a kidnapping for ransom. You okay? uh, Brandy is fatigued already. (sighs) Okay. We're 12 uh, seconds into this story. She can't tell you that after the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Yes, the Federal Kidnapping Act, also known as Lindbergh (laughs) Law. It's right here in my notes. Then say it. (laughs) (laughs) Made it a felony to extend extortion threats through the mail. Exactly. People know this. If you've listened to this podcast, you know, you know the, the, the rules around kidnapping. People memorize our episodes. They don't. But we've covered a lot of kidnappings. It's true. <laughs> but John Warehouser was like, stay away. I am going to comply with this ransom note to the letter. And you will not intervene. Yeah. He's like, I'm fucking doing it. I'm doing everything to the T. Mm-hmm. But as most wealthy families go, it's not Is like it these. to the T or to a T? To the T. Oh, okay. To a T. I don't know. All right. I apologize for interrupting with something you, it's totally fine. stupid. It's fine. I don't know which one's right. To a T. It's too to bad because we're both fairly intelligent. Just, you know, pride tells me <laughs> I'm fairly intelligent. <laughs> Standardized tests tell a different story. So. (laughs) (laughs) I love how long it took that to register. I always scored very well on my standardized test, Mm. ma'am. All right. I'm a a classic tale of a former gifted kid. (laughs) All right. You just skyrocketed to mediocrity. Mr. Warehouser is like, I am doing everything they say. His name's James. I think he went by JP. Or his name's John, but he went by JP. God dang it. Patty, I'm going to hit that again. I heard he went by the Great Bambino. You stop it. His name is John. Or was he... it the Great Bambi? Great Bambi. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I just did there? I made it so we can't cut it. So you You're better right. just Thank move you. along. Okay. So John Warehouser is like, I am collecting this ransom. Yeah. Putting it together. However, like all... So many of these wealthy families, it's not like they just had, like, liquid cash around. So right. much is it of it is in real estate holdings and all of this. So it took them several days to put this well, much money together. Yes, yes. They also, the FBI was adamant that they did track all of the bills. Mm, okay. Yeah. So serial numbers of 20,000 bills 
were tracked as this, like, were recorded as this ransom was put together. Okay. That's a lot of bills. But, okay. A lot of fucking serial numbers. I would I would be more okay with that because, like, the kidnappers aren't going to know that you've done that. Right. right. As long as you're not making any kind of mark or dying the bills. No, they didn't mark the bills in any way. They just recorded the serial numbers from every single bill that was put into this okay. ransom. They said that a 10-page list was made of these numbers. Those numbers had to be very small on those lists. Sure. Nearly impossible to navigate, I'm guessing. Okay. That's your issue with this whole thing? (laughs) We've got 20,000 bills and it only makes a 10-page list? Well, it's just numbers. Yeah, it's a lot of numbers. Okay. And also, how easily are we cross-referencing on these lists? Well, they didn't have Excel. I know. (laughs) God hadn't invented Excel yet, Brandy. So, yeah, it was going to be tough. Okay, so the warehousers are all in on this. They're spending days gathering all of this money together. And on Saturday, May 25th, so this is the day after George was taken, they put two advertisements in the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. The first one said, expect to be ready to come Monday. Answer, Percy Minnie. Mm -hmm. And then the second read, due to publicity beyond our control, please indicate another method of reaching you. Hurry, relieve anguished mother, Percy Minnie. So at this point, they're concerned because like this has made big news well, and they've made it pretty obvious in the exactly. paper. Exactly. So exactly. Piss so they off the kidnappers. So well, I think their fear is that the general public would figure yeah. this out. Oh, of course, of course. No, and I, that that would compromise the whole situation. Yeah. No, this would be horrible. Yes. Also, I read an article from the Seattle PI, like a current article where they talk mm-hmm. about how sensationalized this was reported at this time. Yeah. They were, I mean, they were accusing anybody and everybody of being the kidnappers. Like, they were not afraid to print somebody's name, accusing them. Like, sure. Yeah, it got That's wild. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they were like, come on, let's move this out somewhere. Like, this has already gotten more publicity than you told us to let it get. And that's out of our control. We want to let you know we are doing everything you said. We are following the rules. (laughs) But if we need a different way to communicate, please let us know. How the hell do they let you know when your house is monitored? And this sucks. This is awful. Yeah, it sucks. There was also, like, all kinds of speculation going on in the press about how the warehousers were communicating. Like, one day, there was a bed sheet hanging out of a window at the Mm -hmm. house to dry, and that got printed in the press that it was a signal to the kidnappers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They got no response from either of these messages. Oh, shit. And so they just kept doing what they were doing. On Tuesday, May 28th, so now the whole weekend has gone by, Monday's gone by, it's now Tuesday. Do you like how I told you how the days of the week go? He was kidnapped on Friday. Just that was the point I was trying days to Days of the week. Days of the week. <laughs> days of the week. Days of the week. Days of the week. <laughs> um, on, you learned so much on this that's podcast. That's right. On Tuesday, May 28th. About 19- federal kidnapping laws. Okay. About days of the week. About Brandy's nipple hair. I mean, I that don't last part is hair. disgusting. <laughs> but she tells us about it. On a near weekly basis. All right, continue your story, please. Okay. On Tuesday, May 28th, 1935, so this is one day before the five-day deadline, Hmm. 
Mr. Warehouser placed another classified ad in the Seattle PI. This one said, we are ready, Percy Minnie. Yeah. The family wouldn't speak to the press at all about this. Hell like no. They, they yeah. kept it completely quiet and law, they, law enforcement agreed to take a step back and let them do this ransom handoff, whatever the instructions were, and they said they would not intervene. Okay. So on Wednesday, Mr. Warehouser got a letter from the kidnappers telling him to register that night at 7 p.m. at the Ambassador Hotel in Seattle under the name James Paul Jones and to say that he lived in Seattle when he registered. Okay. I think that was a thing you had to do back then. You had to give like a – All right. Yeah. Yeah, All right. And he was to check in, go to his room, and await further instruction. I'm sorry. How did you say that he got this information? It was a letter that was sent to him. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Also, with that letter came a handwritten note from George containing information that only he would know. Okay. Talked about the the birth years of his siblings. Yeah. Talked about what they do every summer. Just different information yeah. that he could tell his parents, like so that they would know he was okay. And that's what he wrote in the letter as well. I yeah. want you to know that I'm okay. I'm getting plenty to eat. They're taking care of me. Yeah. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Warehouser did what he was told. He went into Seattle. He checked in to the Ambassador Hotel, and he awaited further instruction. At 9.45 p.m., a taxi driver came to the hotel and hand-delivered John Warehouser a letter. The letter instructed him to drive to South Renton Avenue and 62nd Avenue in the Rainier Valley. Okay. You picturing it? You know exactly where that is. Uh (laughs) He was to take the ransom with him, and he was supposed to look for like a stake with a white cloth on it. It would look like a flag. And the note said that there would be instructions there and that he was supposed to follow those instructions. And so John Warehouser did exactly that. He went to that location. He found the stake. And then under that stake was a tin can and inside the tin can were instructions to drive 700 feet ahead where there was another white flag and he was supposed to park there leave the engine running and leave the parking lights on and so he did as he was instructed he drove there looked for another can there was no other can there were no further instructions and so Mm -hmm. he left the car running left the parking lights on and he sat there for three hours. Oh, gosh. And nothing happened. No one ever came. What the hell? And so after three hours, he went back to the Ambassador Hotel with the ransom money. Yeah. Wondering what this meant. Yeah. Like, had he fucked this up? Like, was he never going to get George back now? Right. So he goes to the back to the hotel that night. No idea what has really happened it's after i mean it's one o'clock in the morning i believe by the time he gets back to the hotel and he just goes back to his room the following morning thursday may 30th about 11 30 a.m mr warehouser gets an anonymous phone call at the ambassador hotel and it's a man Mm -hmm. on the phone and he asked him why he didn't follow the instructions on the second note what the hell yeah and he goes i went to the second flag there were no instructions there yeah And the call, like, abruptly ended. Well, what the hell? Yeah. And so he just waited. 
I, I, I believe oh maybe there God. was like a, a quick like mention of wait further instructions and then like yeah, yeah, yeah. hung no, up. Yeah. Gotcha. And so he just sat there and waited yeah. for more information. Hours went by. At 9 p.m., he received another phone call. This time from a man who had a very heavy European accent that like was clearly fake. fake. Okay, yes, yeah. very gotcha. clearly fake. And this person instructed him to drive the money to 1105 East Madison Street, which was a house, like in okay. front of a house. He said, drive in front of this house. Should I be looking this place up? I didn't I didn't look any of these addresses Whoa! up. I'm very sorry. Okay, hang on, hang on. 1105 East Madison? Yeah. Uh, Seattle, Washington. Oh, interesting. Is there a house? Yeah, so he took it to a Pickleman's Deli. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks like everything's <laughs> revamped a bit. <laughs> okay, so they tell him to go to this address, look for a tin can. Inside, there will be further instructions. Mm. And so he does. He drives there. The instructions are there. And their instructions tell him to drive to a halfway house on Pacific Highway near Angel Lake and then turn on this side road. And then a series of notes there followed in these tin cans. It's like a fucking scavenger hunt. Yep. So he followed every single one of these instructions until the final one told him to park his car place the bag containing the $200,000 ransom in the front seat, leave the car running, leave the engine on, the lights on, turn the dome light on in the car, leave the door open, and walk away from the car. Head toward the highway. Oh, my God. Keep on walking. They said they would collect the ransom, and if all of it was in order... They would release George within 30 hours. What? Release him where? Just release him. And so John Warehouser did exactly as yeah, he was I mean, instructed. What, what are you going to do at Parked this point? Parked the car, sure. turned the dome light on, left the engine running, left the door open, put the $200,000 on the front seat, and he took off walking. He had walked about 100 yards when he heard a noise. And he turned around and he watched someone scuttle out from the bushes and jump in the car and drive away. Okay. Did he see anything like... No. Nothing. Just... Just Just a person. Yeah. Yep. Well, that narrows it down. Yeah. And so he did as he was instructed. He kept on walking, walked all the way to the highway and caught a ride back to Tacoma. I assume he hitchhiked. Holy shit. Okay. And waited for George to come back home. He drops the ransom. The kidnappers get the ransom. It is all in order. It's all paid. It's exactly how they said it. And so on at 3.30 a.m. on June 1st, 1935, the kidnappers released George Warehouser. You are kidding me. Nope. They just like let him off on the road, on the side of the road in Issaquah, Issaquah. Qua, Washington. Mm. Issaqua. <laughs> Great job. Issaqua. It might be Issaqua. Issaqua. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. They gave him a blanket to keep warm. Okay. Stuffed a dollar in his pocket. Oh, that ought to do it. And they told him to wait, that his dad would be along to get him. It was raining. George didn't have any shoes at this point. 
Oh, my gosh. And so he waited for a while on the side of the road. And then he was like, this is stupid. Why am I just standing here? Yeah. So he just started walking. Yeah. In the pitch black with no shoes on in the pouring rain. Mm -hmm. And he walked and he walked and he walked for six miles. Oh. Until he wandered onto somebody's property and saw a little house and he walked up to it and knocked on the door. It happened to be the house of Louis Bonifa. His wife, Wilna, answered the door and boy, she shocked to see a little boy at her door that early in the morning. They let him in. He explained who he was. They knew, obviously, Uh immediately who that was. They fed him breakfast. Gave him a pair of their children's shoes. Yeah. And then at 6.30 in the morning, Louis Bonifa put George Warehouser in his car and he headed to drive into Tacoma. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, they didn't call the police? They didn't have a phone. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Old timey times. Yep. No, they did not have a phone. And this was probably a pretty rural yes. area. Yes. Yeah. Not particularly, not particularly densely, densely populated, populated area. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when he did get like into town a little bit, he stopped at a gas station, Louis Bonifa did, and he went in and told the attendant to call the warehousers. Yeah. He said, I've got their son. But nobody answered at the warehouser home for some reason. And so That's shocking. I know. I think it's really weird. Okay. So then Lewis called the Tacoma Police Department and said, I've got George Warehouser. I'm driving him to Tacoma now. Yeah. And so, you know, great. George is safe. He's warm. He's fed. You know, he's going back to Tacoma. Okay. What happens next is nuts to me. Okay, so obviously the news of this was nuts. There's press camping out on the warehouser's front yard, like oh round yeah, the yeah, clock. Yeah. Something got leaked somehow. Somebody got a little nugget that maybe George had been found. I, I don't know exactly how this happened. Okay. But one of the reporters who was there at the warehouser house was this guy named John Dreer. He was a sports writer for the Seattle Times, and he received a tip uh-huh. that George had been found and was being driven back to Tacoma. And so he hopped in a taxi cab and started driving away from Tacoma in the hopes of intercepting George at some point. Oh, so he must have gotten a tip from the gas station. I'm, I assume. Because, yes. yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just risk that unless you had a pretty good mm-hmm. sense of what road they'd be on. Okay. Yep. And approximately 18 miles north of Tacoma, this John Dreer guy did exactly what he'd hoped to do. He flagged down Louis Bonifa's car, convinced <gasps> Louis Bonifa that he was a police officer. Oh, go to hell. Gave him $5 as a reward for being willing to drive George into Tacoma. Oh, my God. And then he got George into the taxi and interviewed him. Cool. Exploit this child. Got the scoop of the century. This is so fucking gross. It's so gross. I cannot believe this. 
But then once he got his interview that he wanted so badly, he did have the taxi drive to the warehouser house. He had it drive around the back and drive into a garage. And well, yeah, then, you don't want the other reporters to get exactly, the scoop. Exactly. And so at about 7.45 a.m., that taxi arrived at the warehouser residence, drove into the garage, and John Dreer got out and he pounded on a basement garage door until somebody finally came. Mm-hmm. It was finally opened by a family friend who happened to be there at the house. Yeah. And George came out of the car and, like, just disappeared into the house. He was home. Okay, tell me everything. (laughs) So, obviously, this John Dreer guy goes and writes the fucking—gets on the front page. Like, it's a big fucking deal. And then the family has to make a statement, obviously, saying that George has been returned. And George stood on the front lawn of the house and posed for pictures for the press. He didn't answer questions or anything. He just smiled and let them take his picture. I and, hate that this this was like the expectation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd been gone for six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been through who knows what because he hasn't even told right. yet. Right. And then, yeah, he's out there. Then he's taken by a, a reporter yeah. who says he's a police officer. He's kidnapped a second time, if you ask me. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So then George finally tells his family, you know, what he had been through Mm -hmm. over those days. He said that when he'd gotten out of school early that day, that he'd walked to his sister's school, seen that nobody was ready to, like, nobody was out for lunch. The chauffeur wasn't there yet. And so he decided to go ahead and walk home. So he left Annie Wright Seminary and he cut across the Tacoma Lawn Tennis Club. He thought this would be a quicker way home, but it took him down kind of almost like a back alley. Okay. And when he was down that back alley, as he got to the end of it, a man stopped him and asked him for directions to Stadium Way. And so George started to give him directions. And then before he could get them out, the man grabbed him and threw him in the back of a green Buick sedan that was parked nearby. There was somebody else in the driver's seat, George said. And George was pushed down onto the car floor between the front and back seats, like into Mm -hmm. the end. They put a blindfold on him and then they covered him with a blanket. He said the car then drove around for what he would guess was about an hour. And he said pretty quickly he couldn't tell where they were anymore. Of course not. Yeah. He said the two men spoke to each other, but they kept their voices really low. He was trying to make out what they were saying, but he couldn't. Mm -hmm. At one point, they did stop. And one of the men handed him an envelope and a pencil and told him to sign his name on it, which he did. This was that proof of life note that had been sent home. Yeah. Along with the ransom note, obviously. You know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid I don't. (laughs) But this truly was random, wasn't it? I mean, if he's taking this unusual route home, Um, should I just let you continue? Well, I don't think it spoils anything. I don't think – I think – the warehousers were the target. It mm-hmm. didn't matter to the kidnappers which, which kid they took. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. They did specifically target the warehousers. But, yeah, I think they were following all of the members of the warehouser family at different times. And whenever wow. they were willing to take whatever opportunity they got. And okay. George gave them an opportunity that day. 
So it was really his fault. No, it is not George's fault at all. We all see what you're saying, Brandon. That's not what I am saying. And we're horrified. (laughs) (laughs) After he signed his name on the envelope, they put the blanket over him again, and then they picked him up and carried him out of the car. He said they walked what felt like a short distance. He could tell they were outside, and he heard the sound of water running. He said he thought that they had walked through a stream Hmm. at one point. And then once they were on the other side of whatever that body of water was, they had set George down and they told him he needed to walk the rest of the way. Yeah. So, But he was still blindfolded. And he still had a blanket on him at this point. And so he held on to one of the men's arms yeah. for direction. But he said it was clearly like a forested area. He, there were bushes and brush and limbs scraping his arms all over the place. Right. They walked and walked and walked, but when they finally reached whatever their destination was, this kind of isolated spot in the woods, they took the blanket off of George's head, and George looked around, and there was a a large log on the ground, Mm -hmm. and next to it was what looked like a grave. Oh, my God. It was about four feet by four feet, a big square dug into the ground. And... They put him in it. Why? This was to be his holding cell for the foreseeable future. Oh, my God. A hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. So they put him in this hole. Oh, my They chained his right leg and right wrist. And then they covered the hole with a tin sheet. And then put branches all over it to disguise it. And then they took the two men took turns standing watch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, this poor kid. Yeah. George said that night they did pull him out of the hole and allow him to eat with them. Well, how sweet. And they fed him sandwiches, a hard-boiled egg, and cookies. What kind of cookies? I don't know. All right. And then he was chained back up and put back in the hole. George said several hours went by where he was still in that hole. And then maybe around 10 p.m. that night, his best guess, they opened the hole up. It was clear that one of the men was very anxious. And they said they had to get him out of there. They were worried that the spot was going to be discovered by the police. Mm -hmm. And so they pulled him out and carried him back to the car and threw him in the trunk this time. Oh, my God. They, again, drove for about an hour and parked in another wooded area. And then they walked into the woods and they made George watch as they dug another hole. Oh, my God. Then they put a car seat, like a seat from a car. Like they pulled one of the mm-hmm. – this is so confusing to me. They, it seems like they pulled a seat out of the car – and put it in the hole. Okay. And then put George in the seat. And then again, they covered the hole, this time with tar paper. Okay. And then he stayed in that hole for two days. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. After those two days, he was again taken out of the hole. He was thrown back into the trunk. But he said this time... Someone had joined the two men. There was a woman now. Hmm. He could hear her. He couldn't see her. 
This time they drove for hours. They were able to determine that this route that they took, based on stuff that he said, I guess, they drove through Washington and Idaho. So they took them across state lines oh, at this point. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. And then they stopped again in a wooded area. And this time George was handcuffed to a tree. This is the weirdest thing to me. What is? That that is such a common thing in these kidnappings. The last two kidnappings you've covered, the person was handcuffed to a tree. I think it makes sense though, right? Like they're going out in the woods. Yeah, I guess. Well, what are you what else are you going to I don't get know. cuffed to? An antelope? I mean No. Right. That'd be so hard to manage. Yeah. He spent all day. First, you got to corrupt the antelope. <laughs> you got to get the antelope in on it? Well, yeah, obviously. You don't want the <laughs> antelope to <laughs> And the antelopes aren't motivated by money, so you got to figure out what makes the antelope tick. Yeah. You see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can tell you're not willing to go down this road any further <laughs> with me. Anyway, he spent the whole day kidnapped to this kidnapped to this tree. He was kidnapped, but it turns out he was also handcuffed. He was limbered to the tree. No. As they say. <laughs> he was blindfolded the whole time. Um, but he said it was clear to him that the two men mm-hmm. didn't want the woman to see him. What? But she knew he was there, right? Yeah. Okay, why? I, no I idea? Don't, I don't know. Um, Is it possible that they were afraid that she would see how poorly he'd been treated and I do how think dirty that's, he was? I think was? that's very possible. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. all right, all yeah. right. So when he wasn't, I almost said it again, when he wasn't handcuffed to the tree, he was stuffed in the trunk again. And like yeah. every so often they let him come out and stretch his legs. But anytime they did, they would he could hear that they would make the woman crouch down on the floorboard and put a blanket over herself. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they stayed in this area for several hours back and forth between mm-hmm. being chained to this handcuffed to this tree and in the trunk of the car and then finally at dusk that night George was put back into the trunk of this car and this time they drove 300 miles to Spokane, Washington where they went into a two-bedroom house located at (gasps) I've seen a picture of this house but I don't know if it comes up. 1509 West 11th Avenue Spokane, Washington. Ooh. Okay. Cute little bungalow. Yeah, bungalow. Like. Yeah. Okay. 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 This is what all the accounts tell me, but it seems like bullshit to me. Okay. At this point, when they get to this house, George is shoved into what is described as a walk-in closet, mm-hmm. which I didn't think existed in 1935. That's your big beef? That's my big beef, yeah. <laughs> well, this house was built before then, and it has a walk-in closet. Now, it's not like... A big walk-in So this closet. closet was big enough that it had a mattress and a table and chair inside of it. I got news for you. That's no closet. That doesn't sound that's like... That's a non-conforming bedroom. That's what I think, too. Okay, so I'll tell you exactly what's <laughs> happening. This bungalow, they're referring to that top level yeah. as a closet. It's, I think so, too. Which is wrong. Yeah. Also, yeah. kidnapping's wrong, but yes. you know, we're not going to yeah. go through the whole list. Right. 
So yeah, he was um, shoved into this walk-in closet mm-hmm. with a mattress, a table, and two chairs, and he spent the next four days inside that room. Okay. This At place one was point, built in 1905. Oh, all right. I'll stop looking at okay. it. Okay. <laughs> you want to go ahead and close that window? I'm, I'm going to close it. <laughs> At one point, George said the woman left with one of the men, and George was left with another man. He said he believed that this man. Wait, another man is in the, one of the one two. of the two men. Okay, yes, okay, sorry, gotcha. one of, with the other man. Sorry, yeah, is what yeah. I meant to say. Okay. Um, and he, at this point, determined that this man was what that they called him Harry. Okay. And that the other man was named Bill. That's mm-hmm. what he that's what he worked out over this time. But George said he and Harry kind of formed a friendship over this time. He said um, that Harry allowed him to walk freely throughout the house for short spurts of time. Mm-hmm. He entertained him. He played ukulele for him. Okay. He showed him newspaper stories about the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And George said that he told the man in response to the newspaper clippings that his parents would be really worried. He was really concerned that his parents were really worried about him. And he said that Harry assured him that it would all be over soon. He did say that Harry wore a mask the whole time, so he never saw his face. Mm -hmm. But that sometimes he would pull it up over the nose so he could talk and eat. Right. But he never saw his face. On Friday, May 31st, George caught a glimpse of a watch that was sitting on a table or something while he was left out, allowed to be out of the room. Mm -hmm. And he saw that it was 5.55 p.m. And at that time, at 5.55 p.m. on Friday, May 31st, the kidnappers told him that it was only a matter of time, that he'd be home soon. And then it was just a few hours later in the middle of the night. They drove him down the road and then they stopped and... Issaca, Washington, mm-hmm. and just let him out. Told him his dad would be along to get him. And then, of course, I already told you, he yeah, 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 waited yeah, for a while, yeah, then he walked, yeah, and he yeah, went to the yeah, yeah. Bonifa house. Okay, okay. Continue. How about we break for an ad? Oh, damn it. Yes, okay. <laughs> Doodaloo! <laughs> Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com audioboom 
all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. And we're back from the ad. Doodaloo. Doodaloo. All right, what, do you want me to keep telling this story? Yeah. Okay, so George is home. He's unharmed, but he has gone through a crazy ordeal. Yeah. He's been in holes. We know. He's been chained we to a know. tree. Let's catch these I'm fuckers. doing a quick recap. No, we're Sometimes up to people speak. forget stuff, Kristen. No, they don't. Sometimes people have to pause because no. they're at work. And Not they- this podcast. It's unpausable. <laughs> Okay, so while George was kidnapped, while he was missing, Mm -hmm. the warehousers had been very adamant that the police not intervene. And so, like, basically no investigation had been done to this point other than recording the serial numbers of the bills. That's essentially all they had done. So now that he's back, fucking all the every police officer everywhere, all the FBI agents, like a dozen FBI agents are sent in. Massive investigation begins. Mm -hmm. Immediately, the FBI released that list of serial numbers. Oh, fuck. Yeah. For publication. This was printed in the newspaper. It was also sent out to stores, banks, what train depots? Yeah, yeah. Why, all why the, are you all the places faces? I couldn't think of. Um, train. <laughs> you wanted to say depot, didn't you? No. <laughs> but yeah, okay. They did find John Warehouser's car that mm-hmm. he had abandoned to oh, leave the all right. leave yeah, yeah, yeah. The ransom in. It was a 1933 black Pontiac sedan. By the way, it was found abandoned. Was it kidnapped to a tree? It was not kidnapped to a tree, but it was abandoned in Seattle's Chinatown district. Mm-hmm. Inside it, they found the bag that was used to carry the ransom, which they called a Gladstone bag. What's that? I don't know. Why don't you know? I can Google it. <laughs> Hang on. Gladstone bag. Oh. Ooh, cute. Okay. Yeah, just a leather old-timey bag. Um, okay. Kind of looks like an old-timey duffel bag. Okay. Sure. Great. Would you like to know about the history of the no, Gladstone bag? No, I don't. I, I would not. Thank you. I'm going to continue a telling this story. A bag is small. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Inside that, there were empty tin cans and the instruction notes. So they found all that stuff inside the car. Mm-hmm. But... Well, and he'd left all of that there, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the money was gone. Well, that'd be hilarious if it wasn't. (laughs) God damn it. I knew we forgot something. Mm -hmm. On Sunday night, June 2nd, 1935, the first ransom bill was found. I'm guessing it wasn't at a train depot. It was actually. Are you serious? (laughs) A $20 bill surfaced in Huntington, Oregon. A man used it to purchase a Union Pacific ticket on the 1010 train to Salt Lake City. No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Another one of the bills, another $20 bill, was used to purchase a money order in Spokane. 
on Tuesday, June 4th. By Friday, June 7th, more than 20 of the ransom bills had surfaced in different Salt Lake City stores. Oh, shut up. Mm-hmm. Most of them were $10 bills. Uh-huh. And they'd been spent at Cress's, I assume is a department store, and Woolworth's, which is a department store. You know Cress's. I don't know Cress's. You know Cress's? Yeah, they sell Gladstone bags. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> So these bills are starting to surface. And so the FBI is like, fucking get to Salt Lake City now. Mm-hmm. I think J. Edgar Hoover himself said that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you think so? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And so they put all of these undercover officers in the cashier cages at like every downtown store in Salt Lake City. Cashier cages? Yeah, this was a common thing apparently back in those days. Like that's where Good. they... Yeah, they. if you had a bill that you needed to go break, you took it to the cashier cage and they would break it for you. They also, if you had a bill that you thought was suspicious, you could take it there and they could check the serial number, see if it's on a list of okay. stolen money. All right. Ransom money, perhaps. Now it's Saturday, June 8th. We've got agents all just crawling all over Salt Lake City. They know these kidnappers have to be there because these ransom bills keep popping up. Mm-hmm. A detective and a patrolman happen to be at Woolworth's in the cashier's cage checking serial numbers of bills that had just come through mm-hmm. Woolworth's, like just checking them over the list, when a a clerk from Woolworth's came to the cage with a $5 bill. $5 bill had been given to her for a 20-cent purchase, and so she took it to the cashier cage yeah. to get it checked. And so they checked it across the list. So I believe that the person who was spending was buying a pack of cigarettes. Okay. And so the cashier brought it to the cage, and they checked it, and sure enough, it was one of the ransom bills. Yeah. And so... Fucking these two FBI agents race out into the store and this woman who was buying these this pack of cigarettes is still standing there. Uh-huh. And they arrest her. They took her to the Salt Lake City FBI field office. Mm-hmm. And they found another one of the ransom bills in her purse. She said that her name was Mrs. Margaret Von Metz. And then she told a bunch of conflicting stories about how she got that money and where she lived and all of this stuff. And so they thought she was, you know, super sus. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when she had a clearly made up name. Yeah. But so she gave them her address, which turned out to actually be her address. Oh, and so she gave him a fake name, but she didn't give him a fake address. And so they went to her house and they waited there waiting for what they assumed like her husband would come home because they didn't really believe that she was a kidnapper. Like, Why not? They knew she's a woman. A woman. Well, I don't know that if. OK, so they did know a woman was involved, but they did not. I think, believe that a woman was like the brain behind it. So, Kristen, well, sure. it's 1935. Sure. Women hadn't learned anything yet. Well, you don't even know that it's handcuffed to a tree, kidnapped <laughs> to a tree. So I'm, I am starting to think that women don't have what it takes, really. So they go and stake out her house waiting for her husband to come yeah. home. And a few hours later, a man does come home. He's got the name Metz 
tattooed on the back of his hand, which... Tattooed on the back of his hand yes, in the 30s? in 1935! I was scandalized by that, too! Oh, my Lord. Okay, they said back of the hand. Do you think it's here, or do you think he has it, like, on his knuckies? No, it's not on his knuckies. It's on the back of his hand. That's just what they said. Why wouldn't... Who's getting it tattooed on the back of their hand? This, this is old timey times. He was a pioneer of hand <laughs> tattoos. Okay. I want a hand tattoo so fucking bad. Well, get one. I, it's complicated because my hands are in water all the time. I would have to take mm-hmm. time off so that my it could heal before I'm doing hair. You can't do gloveys? I probably could. That might be a workaround. I really... Nobody cares. Um, I can't... It's not like you wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. I wash my hand all the time when I go to the bathroom. (laughs) No, I I can't shampoo with gloves on because I can't feel if the hair is getting clean. Mm. You get real into it, do you? It's my job. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't have to love that aspect. As much as you do. Stop it. So if you did get knuckle tats or nucky tats, as we're I don't want nucky tats. I want a hand tat. I want a flower. I want, this is what I want. I want my, I want to finish my forearm here Mm -hmm. and I want it to come down with a flower on my hand. What type of flower? I don't know. Oh. Just a flower. Okay. I don't have a specific flower in mind. Mm. Do you have a recommendation? Should I get a pussy willow? Is that what you're going to suggest? No. (laughs) No. Okay. I was going to think of lovely flowers. Mm-hmm. What about what about hey hey this is cute little dandelion that's being blown in the wind and no, so I don't the want little that. I the don't little want, fuzzy no, guys are going down your it's fingers. A very, that is a very common tattoo. People enjoy that oh, tattoo. So you're calling me basic, you basic bitch. <laughs> uh huh. I'll think of a new do one. Do you want them to turn into birds as they blow away? Oh, is that what people do? It's a thing. Yeah. I do not want that. Okay. <laughs> I hmm, what what would I wish for you? Oh, you don't. Know You'd want so... me to have one of those uh, fucking vagina flowers. Who's the artist who did the vagina flowers? Georgia O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Yeah, yeah, Georgia O'Keefe. You wanted me to have a Georgia O'Keefe vagina flower on my hand? Nope, I do not. Okay, I do not. I'm back on the dandelion. This oh, time, okay. I've got a new idea. Great. <laughs> Inspired by your bird idea. Okay. Okay. So here's the idea. You got the thingies coming off of uh-huh. them because of the breeze. Yeah, the breeze. Yeah. But instead of the thingies, what are those thingies even? Called? I don't know. Fuzzy guys. Yeah. Instead of the fuzzy guys, it's kind of like a Pandora charm bracelet. So it's all the things you love. Of in little form. So we'd obviously have to have like some kind of Mickey Mouse thing. I don't like Mickey Mouse. You're a Disney adult. Don't deny it. I'm a Harry Potter adult. Very different. Okay. So we'll have a little wand. <laughs> yeah, I can have a wand. Sure. Um, let's see. What else? Sure. A slice of pizza. You do on like one pizza. Finger. Yeah. But I like the, you also like chicken tenders. And to me, that would be funnier. Yeah, because but I don't like chicken tenders more than I like pizza. Pizza is my favorite food. It, this is my tattoo. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> um, I like the idea of a food that you're going to look at and you go, what's that? Mm. And you have to explain. I think you would have to those go. Those aren't turds. Yeah, those are chicken tenders. You'd have to go chicken nugget. Because then it's recognizable. It needs to be slightly recognizable. No. So you have to no, do a very specific, like the McDonald's boot-shaped McNugget. You know what? I'll I'll settle for that. <laughs> Even though I don't like it. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of good ideas. Mm-hmm. Lot so of, many. A lot of good ideas. So many good ideas. Coming at you fast. Mm-hmm. No, she didn't write any of them down. Good thing we're recording this, huh? Mm-hmm. I have to pee. Okay. Do you mind if pee. we pause? No, go right ahead. <laughs> go right ahead. <laughs>
And I'm back from the pee. Toodaloo. <laughs> I okay. don't have a pee sound. <laughs> <Diddly. Yeah. laughs> okay, what did you say this fella's tattoo was? Metz. M-E-T-Z. Which... Uh, the Is woman they arrested, stupid, like his last name. Well, so the woman that they arrested at the store with the ransom bill said her name was Mrs. Margaret Von Metz. <gasps> okay. Okay. So now they find this guy. He at, comes back to the address that she had given as her home address. They're like, this has got to be her husband. He has Mets tattooed on his hand. They fucking take him into custody. Mm. Take him down to the FBI field office. Yeah. And there they identified him as Harmon Metz Whaley. Metz is a middle name. Okay. I assume a family name. Yeah. Yeah, right? He's 24 years old. He is an ex-convict, kind of petty crime stuff. Mm -hmm. And the woman that they had arrested earlier in the day, they identified her as his wife, Margaret Eldora Thulin Whaley. Thulin. Okay. That's her maiden name, Thulin. Yeah. Do you like it? No. <laughs> I think it's fun to say. Thulin? Thulin. I, whoa. You didn't okay. know because you hadn't said it. Everyone, you hadn't everyone, the look I don't care. I don't care where you are. <laughs> say it with me. Thulin. Thulin. Yeah. It's fun to say. It's real fun to say. All right. Thulin. Whew. She was 19. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's so young. Yeah. But you know what's even younger? Ten. And being put in a fucking hole in the ground. Yeah, he was nine, but yes. That's even younger. Even younger. I was, I, yeah. That was a whole thing I was doing. I was actually going to go younger. Oh, okay. To Until you got age. to nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you started at just one year older. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was all a plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so they're married. Their name isn't Mets, but they get down to the bottom of it. They figure out who these people really are. They... Margaret was from Salt Lake City. She and Harmon had married after one week of courting. Well, yeah, what do you expect? What? One week. These fuckers kidnapped a child. Like, yeah, I mean, this is like the least... The man has a hand tattoo in 1945 <laughs> or whatever. All right. These people are bananas. Yeah, I mean, they are. I, married after a week of... Like, that's a, how long they'd known each other. Obviously. One week. Yeah. And you they and got David married. had the decency to wait two weeks. We got <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we we had been together almost four years by the time we got married. We did have a child very quickly, though. Um, how soon did he move in? Pretty fast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not two weeks, but mm, pretty fast. But like three. <laughs> <laughs> and how long till you kidnapped that child? I have a never kept. Wow. Oh. I have a never kidnapped a child. Yeah, weird. That You're sounded stumbling. weird that I couldn't say yeah. it. Hmm. Do you think I've secretly kidnapped a child and like Absolutely. my brain has blocked it out? And then I like. No, I don't buy that your brain panic has blocked it out. You, I think. You think I, think I kidnapped a child. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Am I doing like the face on the milk carton thing? Is London not really my kid? Oh, man. Did I just kidnap some? First of all, thank you for bringing up the classic 
novel, The Face, Face on, on the, the Milk, milk Carton. Carton. Not enough people talk about that book. Yeah. But boy, was it important to us <laughs> yeah, in the fifth it was. grade when it we was. both read it and Absolutely. discussed it at length. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely formative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be the whole reason for this yes, podcast. That is the, that's this podcast's origin story. We read The Face on the Milk Carton in fifth grade. Yep. 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 <laughs> Oh, so boy. anyway, no, let's not suspect Brandy of anything because she can totally deny being a kidnapper with no no yeah stumbles. no problem. Now London looks, I mean, exactly like David, and sometimes Seem she kind of looks like me. Defensive. So. Seem real defensive. Also, I do remember her being removed from my body. So there is that too. Okay. Well, the human <laughs> mind is a fascinating thing, isn't it? Okay, so we've got we've got Harmon and Margaret in custody. Of course, they both denied any knowledge of the warehouser kidnapping, but then they did a search of their home. Do they have just a ton of ransom money? Okay, well, yeah. So for, first of all, they searched Harmon's person, and he had mm. some of the ransom bills in his pocket. Yeah, and then they searched the home, and they found. $3,700 of it in the stove, um, they had attempted to burn the money. It seems what? that it seems that Harmon had found out that Margaret had been arrested at the store, and so he was trying to destroy any trace oh. at the home. And so he tried to burn the money on the stove. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. it didn't work out. Yeah. So... They're both in custody, and Harmon Whaley is making false statement after false statement. He keeps changing his story. And then finally, he confessed. He said that um, a buddy of his from when he was – he met him in, in prison mm-hmm. when he'd been serving some time on, like, a larceny charge, I believe. Um, had con- They'd run into each other in Salt Lake City just kind of by happenstance. This guy's name was William Mahan. Wow. It's a great name for a criminal. It's so close to mayhem. <laughs> it is, except that wasn't his name. Oh. <laughs> that was just the name he went by. Oh. He, hold on. Wait, you're making a fake name. Why not go ahead and go for just mayhem? Just hold on. Okay, okay this okay. guy was known as William Mahan to Harmon Whaley. That's how okay. he knew him initially. Right. His real name was William Daynard, mm-hmm. but everybody called him Swede Davis. <laughs> Sweet Davis? Yeah, Sweet Davis. <laughs> that has so many fucking names. Oh, I How do you know what to answer to? I'm, I guess two of them are the same first name, so if anybody says William, you probably answer, and then everybody's calling him Swedes. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he said that he had been buddies. He'd met this guy in prison. They'd been buddies. He'd gotten out. um, And then he just ran into old Swede one day in Salt Lake City, invited him back to the house for some dinner. And before long, a kidnapping, kidnapping, (laughs) (laughs) kidnapping plot was hatched or hatched. (laughs) Kidnapping plot was hatched. Was he Swedish? I mean, he had to be, right? I have no idea. Why Why else would you call him Swede and not Sweet Davis? No. Like, I thought it was like, pie. I don't know. I have no idea. I You've put no thought. I put into no this. thought into this man being called Swede Davis. Did my watch just talk? No, it did okay, not. Okay, good. 
you were hoping it would save you from this moment. <laughs> but clearly he was Swedish, right? Yep. All right. Yep. He went on to star in a little okay. program called The Muppets. Great. <laughs> where he followed his dreams of culinary arts. Yeah. And being surrounded by kids. Mm-hmm. But with human hands. Did he have human hands? Yeah, Swedish chef has human hands. He's the only Muppet who has human hands. I'm adding that to your tattoo. Just a little Swedish <laughs> a little chef. Swedish chef. <laughs> and maybe they could do it so that your hand looks like his hand. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I said that Harmon was serving his time for larceny. It was vagrancy, and I don't know what the fucking difference is. What's vagrancy? That's being a vagrant, just hanging around. Yeah, just around, hanging around. Right? Larceny is hanging stealing. Hanging around. Okay. Yeah, that's right. This it's a homelessness. You can get arrested for being... That's yeah. Backwards. Okay, great. Well, Why don't we just give them somewhere to live? Oh, that's not happening. Boy, okay. There's lots of vacant homes in the United States. Anyway, moving you, on. You trying to sound socially <laughs> progressive? No. When the reality is you don't care about I do rainforest care about, deforestation. I do you're care about with a deforestation <laughs> and the unhoused population, ma'am. Uh-huh. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Harmon says that he had met Swede or William or William. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to take off my shoes uh-huh. and not cause a ruckus but i caused a ruckus okay i apologize thank you uh-huh. so they'd met in 1930 while Harmon was serving a sentence for vagrancy for being poor yeah in the idaho state penitentiary okay and that is where he met william daynard he was serving a 20-year sentence 20 years for bank robbery well okay uh-huh are you wondering how that timeline worked yes, out? Yes, absolutely. Well, let I me am. tell you. For unknown reasons, uh, William Daynard was granted a full pardon by the Idaho governor, Charles Ben Ross, on June 1st, 1933. And he was released. I don't like that you started with for unknown that, reason because I want all That the is what every source says. No one knows how this guy got a pardon or what, what the reason is. So... We don't think he was well-connected. We don't think this was a clerical error. It doesn't seem like he's well-connected. He is a career criminal, but... Okay. I don't know. All right. Yeah. So he gets a pardon in 1933, and he's just out there. Oh, he knew something about somebody. He had to have, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There. Now we have known reasons. Okay. All right. Speculated reasons. No, known (laughs) reasons. (laughs) So... Harmon is floating about his life after he does his time. He ends up in Salt Lake City where he meets Margaret Thulin. They marry after a week. Yeah. She's 19 years old. How old's he? 24. Yeah. Would you like to know about Margaret's background at all? Yeah. She was raised Mormon. Okay. I think it says a lot. She'll actually use that as her defense later. What? She will use that as her defense at trial. Like, um, I, what? (laughs) I was raised Mormon, and in the Mormon church, we women are taught to obey their husbands. 
Oh, that's not bad. It's pretty good. Pretty good. It's pretty good. That's not going to work, but... <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Right. I'm I'm into it. I'm intrigued. <laughs> so Harmon Whaley is like just is spilling all the beans. He is mm-hmm. giving a full confession at this point. That was the beans spilling out of his mouth. Yeah, I that saw. was a and then they spread out. Everyone, Brandy's doing big hand gestures. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and so he talks he tells them, you know, about he met Margaret Thulin. They got married after a week. They floated around a lot because Harmon had trouble keeping a job. Mm-hmm. They lived in Salt Lake City. They met, went to Camden, New Jersey for a time, been to Tacoma for a while. Wow. I mean, they really went everywhere. They went everywhere. Okay. Yep. The article from HistoryLink.org phrases it this way, which I really love. Okay. The Whaley's lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, Camden, New Jersey, and Tacoma for short periods of time, living on welfare while Harmon pursued his criminal career, <laughs> specializing in burglary and robbery. <laughs> it's so important to specialize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it was April of 1935. He showed up before everyone. <laughs> yeah, he really he put left in the work. After everyone. That's right. So it was April of 1935 when Harmon Whaley happened upon William Daynard, Swede Davis, whatever the fuck you want to call him, in mm-hmm. Salt Lake City. And they decided, like, uh, all of the opportunities for them in Salt Lake City were done. And they decided as a group to head off to Spokane, Washington. Yeah. So in April of 1935, they rented a house in Spokane, the one that they took. The Pickleman's Deli. No, that that was the other one. one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The bungalow Uh with the walk-in closet. Wow. Okay. In air quotes. Wow. You take real issue with the strangest things. (laughs) (laughs) And so they set up. Camp, so to speak, in Spokane, Washington, trying to come up with their next scheme, their mm-hmm. next crime to pull off. And then one afternoon, Margaret read to them the obituary of Tacoma lumber baron John Philip Warehouser Sr. So this is George's grandfather. Yeah. So he died in May of 1935. His obituary was published nationwide because mm-hmm. he's this huge timber Titan. Is that a thing people say? It is now. <laughs> but never with confidence. Yeah, he's, a, he's a timber titan. I think you said it too quickly there. You really got to make the people wait. Lumber baron is the term yeah. that, I, that I've That's used previously. But I like timber sure. titan. Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with a little alliteration yeah, in here. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> But that obituary went into a lot of detail about the Warehouser family's financial holdings. Okay. And so when Margaret read this, the three of them got this idea mm-hmm. to kidnap a Warehouser for ransom. Well, it sounds like she might have been the brains of this operation if she's the one identifying the... Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of agree a little bit. I mean, I know she's a woman and therefore very stupid. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like <laughs> uh-huh. this, yeah, is kind of her idea. 
But Harmon, her husband, says that he she didn't know anything about this until it got to the ransom stage. And when they fucked up that initial ransom with not having the second directions where they mm-hmm. were supposed to be, she kind of took over and made sure everything was in place so that they could get the ransom. Right. Sounds and to Harmon like says that that is when that role. is when she entered the plan. Before then, it was all him and sweet old Swede. Mm-hmm. Swedish chef. Yeah. Boinga boinga. Crazy that he got a role on that mm-hmm. show after yeah. his criminal past. Mm-hmm. They formulate this idea to kidnap a warehouser for ransom. And so they set up like a base of operations at a apartment in Seattle and then each day, Harmon Whaley and William Daynard would drive into Tacoma. Margaret stayed behind at the apartment doing housewife things. Uh-huh. And they each day would follow different members of the Warehouser family until by happenstance one day. As they were driving down the road, George Warehouser like literally appeared in front of them. Yeah. And they took advantage of that situation and they grabbed him off the street. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it sounds like Margaret had a, a heavier hand in this. Um, but Harmon Whaley says that she had no knowledge of the kidnapping until after it had occurred, that she played no role until the she helped them collect the ransom. Honestly... I don't give a shit. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. I find out you've got a nine-year-old mm-hmm. kid yep. in a hole somewhere. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So Harmon has given this full confession. Mm-hmm. And then the FBI agents tell Margaret that he has given a full confession. And she gives her version, which coincides perfectly with his. Okay. And they sign confessions for the FBI. All right. But William Daynard is nowhere to be found. He's on the run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. This is interesting. He was spotted by a police officer near Salt Lake City. So he was supposed to like he wanted he was supposed to be meeting up with the Whaley's at like Margaret's grandparents' house. And so he kept just like hanging out in front of her grandparents' house, waiting for them to show. And they never showed because they'd been arrested. Right. And so he happened to like cross paths with a police officer who had previously arrested him. Oh, wow. And so the police officer, for a different charge, the police officer recognized him, Uh but at that point had no idea that he was involved in the kidnapping at all. Right. But but because William Daynard saw him, he thought the police were like (gasps) on his tail. And so he fucking skipped down. Shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was another point where he thought he was about to be made, but it was kind of the same thing. He was loitering somewhere and a mm-hmm. police officer was just going to, you know, tell, tell him, him to move, move it along. along. But he took off. He thought that he'd been made. And so he took off and he ended up like jumping over a fence and having to run through like an alleyway or whatever. And he abandoned his car. 
uh-huh. in this run. Turns out they didn't know who he was. He was just like loitering. <laughs> and when he abandoned his car, they then searched it and found a suitcase containing hundreds of the ransom bills. Yeah. Wrapped in oil cloth. What the fuck is oil cloth? I can picture it right now. Okay. So they took that back. They ran the serial numbers. Wouldn't you know it matched up with the Weyerhaeuser ransom? Yes. I don't think I needed to spell that part out. But you did. And we appreciate it greatly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He had left behind $15,000 of the ransom money in that suitcase inside his car. Okay. But he was on the run. Because he, he was convinced that they knew who he was. They didn't. They did now. They do now. You are over-explaining this. No! It's very <laughs> exciting! No, I agree. <laughs> but you're telling me and then telling me again. Yeah. Yeah, that's how wait, I do it. Wait, so he... What's he thinking right now? He's thinking he he's thinks they made, made him, which he's right now. They have made him at this oh, point. Oh, but he wasn't right mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. So he goes on the run. He's going to spend the next year on the run. Oh, shit. Yeah. With what money? How much money does he have He's, left? I mean, a, a lot. We know it was on his person? We don't know that specifically. Okay. We assume it's on his person because he's making it a year. But he is also a career criminal, so maybe he's robbing other people. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the Whaley's now. They've you know made their full confessions. They mm-hmm. tell the FBI that they buried the bulk of their ransom money in uh i don't know some camp canyon Im- immigration canyon immigration canyon yeah e-m-i-g-r-a-t-i-o-n that looks like immigration right <laughs> it's approximately oh, yeah. six miles east of salt lake city okay all right and so on june 10th 1935 the fbi went to the location where they had told them and sure enough they dug up a gunny sack <laughs> containing $90,000. Whoa. Yeah. Of the ransom money. Okay. At this point, okay. So this has got kind of... Is there sex stuff? No, no sex oh. stuff. You well, the way you looked at me was like no. there was some sex stuff. So they stuff. go count this money out. Right. And at this point, Harmon Whaley finds out that fucking Daynard, Swede Davis, took $5,000 more than his share when he divvied the money. <laughs> so now he's fucking pissed. What? Come on, he man. Is. He is. He's like, I hope they fucking catch him now. <laughs> took $5,000 extra dollars. Okay. <laughs> on Wednesday, June 12th, Hmm. 1935. Mm-hmm. Many moons before I was born, but on my birthday. <laughs> okay. The Whaley's. 15 years before Brandy was okay. born. The Whaley's were extradited from Salt Lake City to Tacoma, where they were officially indicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why are you saying that with a question Well, mark? because they were officially charged and arraigned, and then I, I don't fucking know. The indictment came down like a week later. I think that whole process is a little confusing. But, All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was confused because I, I thought for a second there was going to be sex stuff, and then it turns out you're talking about indictments. So imagine there's how no I feel. yeah, there's no sex stuff in this at all. No. Zero sex stuff right. <laughs> did I come across. <laughs> Harmon Whaley was arraigned on June 21st, 1935, and he pled guilty 
to kidnapping and conspiracy charges. But because George Warehouser had been released unharmed, uh, the <laughs> I I love how how we talk about these yeah. things. Unharmed. Unharmed. Yeah, no emotional damage yeah. here. No trauma here. The court thought that he sh- deserved some leniency. So the maximum sentence was life in prison. Okay. But the because- maximum wasn't death? No. This so this is a federal. He's charged federal. Right. Federally. Life in prison is the federal max. Okay. If he had been charged at the state level. Mm-hmm. He could have received the death penalty, which is why it is believed wow. that he pled guilty to the federal charge. Oh, of course. Of course. Yes. That is so mm-hmm. interesting. It's like the one time when yep. going across state lines yep. is actually a good thing. Absolutely. Okay. Because this was charged as a federal crime, it kept him from the death penalty. Interesting. Yep. All right. So he pled guilty, and because he gave a full confession, because George Warehouser was physically unharmed, mm-hmm. in quotes. Totally fine. Uh, yeah, the judge was lenient with him, and he sentenced him to 45 years in prison for the kidnapping charge and two years for the conspiracy charge. Wow. To run concurrently. Okay. He was immediately taken into custody, and in July of 1935, he was transferred to serve his sentence at the new maximum security prison in San Francisco, Alcatraz. Oh, boy. Yeah. State of the art. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he's off. He's pled guilty. He's Mm. serving his 40... Five-year sentence. Now it's Margaret's turn. Margaret was arraigned with Harmon, with her husband, and she tried to plead guilty alongside him. Mm-hmm. And the judge and her court-appointed attorney were like, Mm-mm. "What? Don't plead guilty. We're mm-hmm. looking out for you, little lady." Yep. Kurt appointed attorney. <laughs> Her current appointed attorney, Stephen Who J. O'Brien. Oh, damn, I want him to be named Kurt so badly. Told her that there was nothing in the indictment that could convict her. And so she should not plead guilty. Mm. She went against him and told the judge that she wanted to plead guilty. Mm-hmm. And the judge said it was not in her best interest and entered a not guilty plea on her behalf. Wow. Yep. And so she was given uh, a new attorney for trial, John Francis Dorr, who was a f- the former mayor of Seattle. Okay. He was like a big deal guy. He became her trial lawyer, and her trial began like five seconds later on June 9th. All right. July 9th. Mm. We can't go back in time. If we could turn <laughs> back time. In opening arguments, the assistant U.S. attorney Owen P. Hughes told the jury how George was kidnapped in Tacoma on May 24th. He was driven around the Northwest in a trunk. He spent at least three days chained in dirt in those dirt pits Mm -hmm. before being taken and chained to that tree and then taken to that house before he was finally set free on the side of a dirt road in Issaquah. (laughs) Issaquah. It's a quote. <laughs> Hoosiers. <laughs> uh, the trial was really fast. It only lasted five days. 
What? Margaret's defense, as we already talked about, was that she was raised in the Mormon church and she had been told um, her the basic tenet of her faith is absolute obedience to your husband. Right. She said her husband told her to do this. And so she did it because that's what her faith told her to do. She also said that William Daynard threatened to kill her and her husband and George if she didn't fully cooperate. Okay. She actually testified at this trial. She said that she had wanted to plead guilty, but that they had told her not to. That's going to look great for the jury. I don't think that looks great at all. You don't think so? No. If you're playing on a jury's sympathies. Oh, you think they'll like that. Oh, my gosh. It backs up the I do what men tell me to do thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't even considered that. Mm-hmm. You've always got to be thinking about that male gaze, Brandy. Yeah. During closing arguments, her lawyer told the jury that she's just a stupid woman. (laughs) (laughs) And that if her husband sent her a telegram at that moment telling her to go outside and jump off the courthouse, she would do it. What? (laughs) I think it's a good I think it's a good argument. Yeah, but ignorance is no excuse. No, absolutely. Um. But it is funny. I mean, we see this all the time in court cases where <laughs> in closing statements, the mm-hmm. attorneys are like, hey, my client's a piece of shit. Yeah. But he didn't do this shitty thing. <laughs> yeah. So her attorney was like, she's fucking stupid. OK. That's that's the long that's and short the of it. bottom line. That's it. And then in contrast, the prosecution was like, I don't know of a single woman who would willingly crouch on the floorboard of a car and cover herself with a blanket. What? Yeah. I, the argument is that, like, she didn't think that the story she was telling was true because mm. no self-respecting woman would put herself physically in that position. Okay, well, that's just silly. Yeah, have I agree. We, have we examined that prosecutor <laughs> right? for intelligence? <laughs> well, no, because it what what George said backs up. Yeah, what this defense is saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The jury deliberated for five hours and forty-four minutes. The jury was made up of uh, two men, and I'm sorry, ten men and two women. I, was, I about shat myself. <laughs> sorry, okay. ten men and two women. Uh huh. And they found Margaret Whaley guilty of both kidnapping and conspiracy to commit kidnapping. Okay. How much time did she get? Uh, she was sentenced to twenty years in prison for the kidnapping and twenty years for the conspiracy to be served concurrently. Okay. At one point during the trial, she had kind of like stated her allegiance to her husband through all of this. But after her sentencing, she said, if it hadn't been for him, I would not be where I am today. I'm through with men forever. When I come out, I'm coming out alone. Okay. 
So she's off. She's serving her sentence now. So now we're still focusing on capturing William Daynard. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, fucking months have gone by. In the beginning of 1936, some ransom bills start surfacing in different areas of the country and then kind of back into the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. But somebody is caught at a Seattle bank trying to change bills. Yeah. They're trying to exchange bills. They have $300 in bills that they're trying to exchange. And the teller became suspicious and went to go check the serial n- numbers on these bills. Did you almost say serial nipples? I almost said serial numbers. Oh. Boy, I've I've got... You've s- got sex on the brain. So you- <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. Jeez. Someone needs to get banged. That's enough! That's enough! <laughs> You have to take a trip to Target and get one of those sex toys. mm -mm. (laughs) We're cutting all this away. Okay, so she gets suspicious. She goes and checks these serial numbers. Sure enough, they are the recorded ransom numbers. Mm -hmm. But whoever this guy is takes off, leaves the $300 behind. Yeah. So they get a good enough description of him that over some time they figure out that he is a known associate of William Daynard's. His name is Edward Fliss, mm-hmm. also known as Frank Lane mm-hmm. or Red, because he had red hair. They're always named Red. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. He also had met Daynard in the Idaho State Penitentiary because he had been in there for kidnapping. Oh, boy. He'd kidnapped the lieutenant governor of Idaho. Well, shit. Yeah, in 1929. But somehow, I guess he got a light sentence. Well, evidently, yeah. Well, I mean, that was pre-Limburg Act, so. I wonder if also we're talking about. An adult. Mm-hmm. We're talking about. Mm-hmm. I assume didn't. He was released. Harm. Yeah, he says he said the whole thing was just a misunderstanding. It wasn't really a kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, he thought they were just like hanging out together. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know how it is. Like when they're mm-hmm. not physically harmed. I mean, people did not yeah. give a shit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they figure out that William Daynard, Swede Davis, has his buddy Red working with him trying to change bills. Yeah. So they put that on their radar, but they still can't find him. In May of 1936, employees at two San Francisco banks reported that a man had come in and tried to exchange bills where the serial numbers had been altered. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. These two different employees at two different banks had managed to get the license plate number off of the car that this man, like once they, once they were on to him, he took off, left the money behind, but they got his license plate number. Turns out it was registered to a man named Bert E. Cole, Mm -hmm. who was living at the Ventura Hotel right across the street from the federal building. Oh, shit. And so they put surveillance on this mm-hmm. building, and like two days later, they find William Daynard. Yeah. I don't know who Bertie Cole is, but the car was registered to him. I don't know if that's a fake name or another pseudonym. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that I don't have more information here. <laughs> we don't know if it's a fake name or a pseudonym. So or they had, th- I think this is kind of funny. A lie name. Yeah. Hmm. They had, when they staked out this building where they expected to find William Daynard, they had gone to that car mm-hmm. that had been spotted 
and they disabled it. They and so he comes out of the building. He's got a disguise on. He's wearing horn rim glasses, which yeah, he doesn't yeah, usually yeah. wear. He goes and he gets in the car. It won't start. He gets out to look under the hood and they arrest him right then. Yeah, not bad. Uh, he had a Colt 45 semi-automatic pistol on him and he had um, $7,300 in ransom money in his pocket. That is a one fat pocket. No shit. <laughs> this is the invention of cargo. Pants. Yeah. How do you have that much in a pocket? I don't know. And then they found another $30,000 of the ransom money in his, in his hotel back room. Pocket. Oh. No, in his hotel room. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so they take him into custody. They sit through him through like a four-hour interrogation. At one point, he admits to his participation, but then he refused to sign a full confession. But then he also told the FBI where he had hidden away another $14,000 of the ransom money. So anyway, he was sent off to Tacoma. He was arraigned on May 9th, 1936. So we are talking almost a full year after George Weyerhaeuser was kidnapped. Okay, I don't really understand this part. He was offered a court appointed, a court, court appointed attorney. that's why you don't understand. (laughs) Stop it. He was offered a court appointed attorney, but he declined and then just pled guilty. To the kidnapping and conspiracy to mm. kidnap charges. I think same kind of thing. Like, he was trying to avoid that death penalty. Also, he he's probably been through mm-hmm. the system a lot. Yep. He's been through shit, and he probably thinks, mm-hmm. this is useless. I'm yeah. just going to... Uh, Try to speed through this. Yeah. So the FBI determined that he was the brains of this operation. So he was given the heftiest sentence. He was sentenced to 60 years in prison on each count. And the terms were to run concurrently. So 60 years total. Mm Mm-hmm. He was taken into custody. First, he went to McNeil Island Federal Penitentiary. Then he was transferred to Leavenworth. Mm. But at Leavenworth, he was deemed to be insane. He was sent to a mental hospital in Springfield, Missouri for a time. And then ultimately he was sent to Alcatraz. Wow. Mm -hmm. Any word on like what? Okay. No. Gotcha. On what what happened in in Leavenworth for him to be deemed insane? I don't know. Okay. Mm -mm. Also worth noting, they tracked down his buddy who was helping him change bills. Mm -hmm. His name was Edward Fliss, old red. Mm -hmm. And he confessed that he'd helped him launder money, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Ouch. I agree. Okay. Yep. It was during his sentencing at that trial, after well, at the yeah, hearing yeah. where he was being sentenced, that he talked about the kidnapping that he was previously convicted of. Uh-huh. And he said... The kidnapping of the lieutenant governor was not a real kidnapping. We just forced the man to ride with us for a couple hours, and then we found out who he was. We let him go. There wasn't any ransom money involved. So stop asking about it. It was no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) It's just that totally normal thing we do when Mm -hmm. we grab someone off the street and force them to be in a car with us. Yeah. So that's everybody. Everybody's been caught. Everybody's been sentenced. Everyone goes away to prison. After George was returned, Mr. Warehouser gave Louis Bonifa a huge reward 
for helping reunite his son, Aww. for saving his son. He, uh, it's it's not clear how much he gave him, but he gave him uh, lifetime employment at one of his mills. Wow. And a monetary reward that was big enough to purchase several acres of land and build a new house for the Bonifa family. Wow. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yep. How'd George end up doing? We'll get there in a minute. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Okay. Really good. All right. Margaret Whaley was released from prison in May of 1948, she served two-thirds of her sentence. Mm-hmm. After her release, she immediately divorced Harmon Whaley and resumed using her maiden name, Thulin, which I don't yeah. blame her for one bit. Yeah. Yeah. She moved to Columbus, Ohio. She got a job there for American Electric Power Company. She did eventually remarry in 1954, and she died in 1989 at the age of 74. Wow. Mm-hmm. Harmon Whaley was paroled in June of 1963 after serving 28 years of his prison sentence. During his time in prison, he wrote several letters to George Weyerhaeuser apologizing for kidnapping him. Mm. And upon his release, George Weyerhaeuser, who was now working within the Weyerhaeuser Lumber Company, like he was, I think, by this time, CEO. Sure. He gave him a job. Ew. Okay. No, Kristen, no. that is a nice thing. No, I know. <laughs> okay. He gave him a job. Okay. You hate it. Why do you hate it? Mm, why do I hate it? Um... My fear is no one took this child's trauma seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, that reporter swooping oh, in, yeah. um, this obligation to go stand outside and smile. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we hear this story a bit in these old-timey kidnappings, mm-hmm. especially when the victim is a young male. Yeah. That if he's not physically harmed, then there's this, like, the kidnapper's just this cutie guy, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, shouldn't mm-hmm. have done it. Whoops. And, you know, if, if George truly wants to forgive, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I, I, I hate this idea. Mm-hmm. And that, granted, is in my head right now, so mm-hmm. it's not something you've said, but yeah. it, it's this idea in my head that, like, he would feel pressure to do this public forgiveness mm-hmm. and take it a step further and have this guy who caused tremendous trauma mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah. We'll get to what George says about it in just a minute. Okay. Okay. So Harmon Whaley died in February of 1984 at the age of 73. William Daynard uh, became eligible for parole in 1955, but the Federal Parole Board called him a three-time loser. <laughs> <laughs> and they did not think he merited early release. Wait, what's a three-time loser? It's like his third oh. serious conviction. <laughs> <laughs> kind of 
like an early version of the three strikes, I think, <laughs> yeah, is no, what it is. Yeah. I I was really hoping it was just like, that's just what we say about people yeah. we don't like. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so he was initially denied parole, but he was later paroled. He lived to the ripe old age of 90. Okay. He passed away in Montana in September of 1992. Edward Fliss, the guy who was cleaning the money, he served almost his entire 10-year sentence. Mm -hmm. And then he was released in 1946. I don't have any any update past that. I don't know what became of him. Okay. George Weyerhaeuser went on to attend Yale. Mm -hmm. And then he started in the family business as a foreman, worked up to general manager. And then in 1966, he became the CEO of the Weyerhaeuser Corporation. He retired from the corporation in 1999. He spoke publicly about the kidnapping a few times over the years. And his basic gist of it was that everybody wanted to make it a bigger deal than it was to him. Mm. He said it had a way bigger effect on his family than it had on him. Hmm. He said, a young boy is a pretty adaptable organism. He can adjust himself to conditions in a way no adult could. It didn't affect me personally as much as anyone looking back on it might think. Wow. Yeah. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah. His daughter, Laylee Weyerhaeuser, in response to that uh-huh. statement, said that she thinks that maybe it didn't have that, you know, that impact on him that people think it should, mm-hmm. should have. But she said it deeply affected his outlook on life. She said, I think that incident forced him to reckon with who he was at a really young age. And he realized how he could get through it. And then that's kind of how he looked at life from then on. Like, how do I get through whatever scenario he was placed in? Yeah. I mean, I hate like Mm -hmm. his, his whole statement is basically like. Talking to people like me, Uh hey, you're making too (laughs) much of this. And again, I'm kind of like, if there's something huge Mm -hmm. and traumatic and everyone knows about it, yeah, you probably don't want to talk about it. And so, yeah, you probably would say... Mm And maybe even believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think he believed I think it he just, believed it, but I do think it didn't affect me. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. I don't think yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean he said he has said that in interviews too. I'm sure. I don't really think about it. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's what a lot of people say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. George Weyerhaeuser died at the age of ninety five in twenty twenty two. Shut up. He just died last wow. year. Wow. Yep. Wow. And that is the story of the kidnapping of Holy George Weyerhaeuser. And that is the brandy version of a light one. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Appreciate it very much. That was fascinating. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. What do you make of the lady's defense? What do you think? I think it's a great defense. I think it's a very smart defense. I think she was way more involved in it than she wants people to believe, though. Sure. Yeah. I think it's a really smart defense because that is a core tenet of the LDS church. Yeah, but can that really be used as a defense? I mean, I here's the thing. You're 19. You've been yeah. brought up Mormon. Yeah. You're married to some guy. I totally believe that that would be the mindset. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. <laughs> All right. Very good. <laughs> well done. Well told. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. You know what I think we should do right now? Take some questions from the Discord. Absolutely. To get into our Discord, all you have to do is sign up for our Patreon at the $5 level or higher. And when we record, we get in the Discord, we say, does anyone have any questions for us? And then some of you do, and we read some of them right now. You're over-explaining it, Kristen. Let me <laughs> let me recap it. Let me pull a brandy and recap it. <laughs> Ooh, yes, it's me, Calm Down, wants to know, how many complaints do y'all really get about the tangents? I enjoy them. By the way, Kristen, you might be the problem. (laughs) We get plenty of complaints. Lots of complaints about about our tangents. But here's the thing. It's like, that's not new to the show. We've had tangents always, and we're always going to have tangents. So, like, if that's not for you, that's cool. Just listen to a different podcast. Or complain. No, we're not. We're not going to change. I might. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) this is totally for you. Trailblazy Daisy asks, mostly for Kristen probably, but do you have a favorite (laughs) favorite tree in your neighborhood or town that makes you smile when you see it? I am offended. First of all, I'm very (laughs) offended. And how you're laughing at that. Like, that's a ridiculous question. Mm -hmm. The truth is, I do. Of course you do. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm not I'm not going to tell you, right. Brandy, because you're rude. But everyone, there's this really cool <laughs> tree that I walk by every day mm-hmm. when I walk the dogs. And every time I walk by, I'm like, my gosh, how long has that tree been around? Because it's huge. Yeah. I'm just like... What has this tree seen, and will it be here long after I'm gone? These are the questions mm-hmm. you ask yourself when you appreciate a big tree, 
brandy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't have a specific tree, but anytime I see a weeping willow, I do like note it because my grandma had one in her mm-hmm. yard when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. it's very like nostalgic to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> This is just like in high school when you tried to pretend you were into skateboarding. No, I was very into skateboarding <laughs> dudes. <laughs> no interest in getting on a skateboard myself. But getting on a skateboarding dude, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I had the etnies to prove it. <laughs> mm, mm, okay. See, this is a, a scenario-based one for me. Okay, okay, Bethany wants to know, yes or no, trying on clothes in the middle of the store on top of your clothes. She's a hard no on it. I think it depends on the article of clothing. If it's a jacket, sure. Jacket, absolutely. Even a, a sweatshirt, sure. No. You don't? No. What, what about a zip-up sweatshirt? Zip-up, zip up, okay. I wouldn't put a hoodie on. Right. No, a zip-up. Anything I think that, you know, opens. What about, like, a flannel? You wouldn't try a flannel on over? Is it a zip-up flannel? No, it's, it's basically a, it's a jacket. It's a button-up. They don't zip. It's buttons. Why are you saying that? Like, there's never been a flannel. <laughs> the I one, guess, I, yeah, the no. one I'm picturing is as buttons. Uh, yeah, no. I, you know what? When you said flannel, mm-hmm. I thought fleece. That's yeah. That's the source of our confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never confused. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Um, no, any that's too shirty for me. Okay, you need yeah. to go in a dressing room. Got for that. to anything below the waist. You, I mean, other than shoes, but yeah, no, don't even fuck around with that. Get into a dressing room. I'm fine with a jacket, a cardigan, and even I'm even okay with a button-up flannel. That's fine. Wow, yeah. she's wild, everyone. You wouldn't do that. Yeah, I would. A flannel? You'd put on a flannel in the middle? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I would treat it like a jacket. Because that's how I would wear it. I'm not wearing it as a shirt. I'm wearing it as a jacket. Okay. Yeah. Outerwear, I'm okay with. You trying right. on in All the right. middle of the All section. Right. Yeah, you really don't wear button downs, do you? No. Why not? Because it's very because my body is oddly shaped. Oh my god, here we go. <laughs> no, and so I, it's it's not a flattering look because if it fits me through like my shoulders oh, and stuff it's huge on my body which yeah. is just not cute I knew, I would need a very tailored like I would have to go get it tailored sure. and I don't even know that they like my freakish body could be oh, like, good. tailored that's, enough that's, that's the way to talk about yourself that's great <laughs> okay I keep seeing this question floating around on the social medias okay and I've yet to come up with an answer, so let's see if we can brainstorm one together. Right. Uh, Need More Coffee asks, realistically, how much would you spend for NSYNC reunion tickets? Hmm. Mm. I would I would spend a significant amount of money on a What's significant? NSYNC reunion ticket. Um, see, I don't think... Oh. Say it. There's a number in your head. Seems like a just say it. I mean, I think I'd pay a thousand dollars to see and sync. People paid way more than that to see Taylor Swift. I think I would pay that to see and sync. Wow. You what would pay eighty dollars? That's your max. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I think the reason I had that reaction yeah. was I have a number in my head that I think is real high. Yeah. Um, and I thought you had that same. See, here's my number. deal though. I'm not paying a thousand dollars for nosebleeds. 
Well, God, I would hope not. I will pay $1,000, but I need to be able to actually see yes. the men of NSYNC. Yeah, if you paid $1,000. Um, people are paying like they were just $3,000 for nosebleed Taylor Swift tickets. So, Okay, well... I don't what's even your, know what's what, your number. My Kristen. number was three hundred, and I thought that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to be totally clear, I wouldn't go in saying three hundred. Yeah, I'd be going in saying two hundred, but then I get in there with all the like, fees oh. and all the stuff, and I yeah. would eventually go up yeah. to three hundred. A thousand dollars. I don't even know your life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I was much more into NSYNC than you were. Yeah. Much more. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I but named I my like vagina Lance Bass. So We all know that. <laughs> um, and yet he never came to it. Mm. <laughs> um, but like we could name things that I was more into. I'm not paying $1,000 yeah, for anything. Yeah, because you're cheap as shit, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I own a hot tub. <laughs> You wouldn't pay 80 bucks to go see the most amazing Ben Folds concert I've ever seen in my life. Well, that was a moment of regret for me. <laughs> I look back on that and I think, what a dumb hoe. <sighs> Shall we move on to Supreme Court? Yes, let's do it. To get inducted on this podcast, all you have to do is sign up for our Patreon at the $7 level or higher. This week, we are reading your names and your first celebrity crushes. And Brandy is staring at her computer. My page reloaded. Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Melinda Shamey. Barry Manilow and Phil Donahue. (laughs) And she says, yes, really. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Katie Wilson. Cleo Thomas. Allie Fury. Dylan from 90210. Lauren Moyer. Leonardo DiCaprio. Jolene Kotzman. Corey Haim. Alex Edwards Gonzalez. (laughs) Moses from the Prince of Egypt (laughs) animated movie. (laughs) Amy Bailey. Commander Riker from Star Trek Next Generation. Susanna Alberton. Tom Selleck. Violet Outburst. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Third Rock from the mm-hmm. Sun. Yeah, I yeah. was into that. Joanne. J.C. Chazes. How do you... Chazé. Chazé. <laughs> Angelina. Oh, Shannon Doherty, Holly Marie Combs, and Alyssa Milano in Charm. I guess I should have known I was gay because they were all <laughs> over my walls growing up. <laughs> Teresa Buxton. Justin Timberlake. Jax. Min Yungi from BTS. Mel. Orlando Bloom. Mike Hines. Charlize Theron. Welcome, Welcome to the Supreme Court! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. I think I left out letters in there. Wherever you listen, and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Then be sure to join us next week when I'll be an expert on a whole new topic. Podcast Podcast adjourned. adjourned. And now for a 
note about our process. I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from an essay by Daryl C. McClary for HistoryLink.org, an episode of the podcast Evidence Locker, the book Deep in the Woods by Brian Johnston, OregonLive.com, and SeattlePI.com. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go. Read their stuff. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.